Well, this morning, I want you to know, I know some things about you, even if I don't know you very well. One of the things that I know about you, because it's true for all of us, it's true for me too, is that you want to be connected to other people. You want to be connected to other people. You'll remember that one. You want to be connected to other people, and you especially want to be connected to, I'm sorry, I lost some of you there. (laughs) Give you a minute to recover, right? You especially want to be connected to people who care deeply about the things you care about, right? You want to be connected to people who care about the things, you want to spend time with people who care about the things that are important to you or the things that you're excited about because you share that same passion. And honestly, you probably care a little bit more about them than you do about other people because they're your tribe. They're the ones who get you and who get the things that are important to you. You want to be together, you want to do things together, you want to eat together, cry together, laugh together. Those of you who are sports fans will know some of what this is about. If you're a football fan or a soccer fan or really any sports team, you know that it can be fun to watch your team play like a football game. It's fun to watch your football team play at home. Um, You can cheer for them and maybe later you talk to other people about how that game went or how it worked out and you kind of replay, you rehash some of how it went, whether good or bad. One of the things that I do, um, my sons and I track, follow some of the same teams and um, I live here in Pennsylvania, but my two sons live in Colorado and Hawaii, so I can't exactly watch the game with them. But what we do is we text. So sometimes if I'm watching a game and, and it's exciting, I'll text and say, are you guys watching? Are you guys seeing this? And sure enough, that I'll fire back and I'll say, yeah, I just saw that. And when, the touch, when they score a touchdown, we kind of text. It's kind of maybe a, a lame way to celebrate, but at least I'm connecting with them from a distance. And if it gets really exciting, we might actually call each other and speak on the, those things, you know. But you know, if you're a football fan, it's even more fun to get together with other people who either root for or against your team, right? The energy level goes up when you're with other people. The touchdowns are more exciting and the, the fumbles and the setbacks are more, more uh, painful when you share them with other people. They're more terrible. But a party can be more fun than watching by yourself. And if you've ever been to a game in person, you know, that's, that amps everything up. All the energy goes up. It's, it's incredible to be with thousands of other people who are roaring along with you. And the, the touchdowns are even more amazing. And the fumbles and the setbacks are even more disappointing because you're all groaning together. I haven't been to any of Penn State's whiteouts, but maybe some of you have. I've seen them on television. They're amazing. It looks like the whole place is just, I mean, how would you even think straight in a place like that? But it's We're connecting with other people. We're sharing in a passion together because we all crave connections. We all crave family-like closeness with other people. And so we seek that out. For some of us, we enjoy that in our families. Not all of us are able to do that, though. Some of us, it's a group of hunters that maybe you hunt with or a, a, a team that you're part of, a sports team, or maybe it's just a posse of friends from high school or from college that you stay in touch with and hang out with. Or maybe it's fans of your favorite social, me- uh, social media personality. I know some of you are part of the Rotary Club here in town, and some of us have been part of the Lancaster County Society of Farm Women, and just different ways to gather together with other people who have shared interests. But I hope for many of us, our congregation is also a place where we experience that kind of connection. Whether it's here in gathered worship, or whether it's in a small group or a next steps class, or whether you serve together with another group of people in a way that connects you to them, you spend time with them, you share highs and lows with them, you get to know each other's lives and stories a bit. 
For some of us, it's people that we've helped to care for or people who've helped to care for us. And that's how we develop a deeper connection with each other. But the truth is that we're all building connections. We're just hardwired for this as people. We're all building connections all the time. And the main thing I want you to think about this morning, I want to invite you to think about this morning, is where are you deepening your connections? We're all deepening our connections to other people in different places and different ways as we go throughout our weeks. But where are you deepening your connections? And how intentional are you about the the choices you make there? We sometimes use the word community to refer to uh, a network of those connections that are developed over time. If we continue to deepen our connections to each other in the congregation, for example, we would say that we're building community. We're building a community, which is a thing unto itself. It exists only because we have invested in it. People who are deeply connected to each other create, constitute a community. And that's what we heard described in the scripture text that we heard this morning from Acts 2. This uh, passage is uh, what happens in the few weeks and months after the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out. And as you heard, 3,000 people were added to the the gathering of people, I guess you would say initially it was just a gathering of people, but it became a community as they ate together, as they worshiped together. In the passage from Acts 2, uh, it says that uh, in verse 42, it says they sat under the same teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they're sitting under the teaching together, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, to connecting with each other, to enjoying each other. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they were eating together, and or they they were celebrating communion together. The breaking of bread there probably refers to both of those things. They were eating ordinary meals together, but they were also uh, eating the Lord's Supper together. It says in verse 43 that they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles seem to have um, carried with them a gift of healing that Jesus had. And so one of the things the community, the people were doing was connecting to each other by telling the stories to each other about what the apostles were doing. Did you hear about what happened last week? Did you hear what John did, what Peter did? They were telling each other those stories of God at work. Verse 44 and 45 said that they sold property and possessions so that they could help each other, so they'd have extra money available to help each other in need. They had everything in common, it says. And so, somehow they were sharing their possessions in common. In verse uh, 46, it says that every day, at least some of them went to the temple courts together, to, to worship together in the temple courts. And in verse 47, it says that they praised God together. So they were building their connections to each other, deepening their ties, developing a really intense kind of community or a shared way of life. So why did they do that? How did that happen? Well, I think it happened because they were drawn together by their shared surrender to Jesus. They were drawn together by a shared interest, a shared passion to worship, to to grow together in understanding what it meant to follow Jesus in their lives. They worshiped together and it filled, I think they were drawn together because they wanted to be together. Being together filled their lives with joy and with a sense of purpose because they were following Jesus together and carrying out the mission that he had given them. I also think they were encouraged and inspired by being together because following Jesus, as you well know, is, is a team sport. It's not a solo quest, right? Following Jesus is not something that you or I do by ourselves. It's something we do together. And it's a lot easier. Last week I was struck when uh, Jonathan said that, um, I don't have the quote exactly top of mind, but he said that at some point, uh, 
the way I heard is my words. At some point, following Jesus is going to contradict our natural desires. At some point, following Jesus is going to rub us the wrong way in terms of what our natural desires are. And I'm sure that your experience is like mine, that that's a lot easier to overcome my natural desires or to withstand my natural desires if I know that you all are doing the same thing. If we're doing that together, I'm deeply encouraged and I'm inspired by your example to to persevere and to press on into what God has called us to if we're doing that together. Well, there are Christians today whose lives are modeled after that description in Acts 2. You may have heard of the Bruderhof or the Hutterites who live together in shared community. They own their land together. They own the buildings on the land and the equipment together. And they have a shared way of life that's largely organized around farming. But they live together, they eat together, they work together as a community of of followers of Jesus. They have an intense kind of uh, experience of community. There are other Christians who worship in congregations where people are not really deeply connected to each other, where people gather for worship, but they don't really connect Uh, in the worship or outside of it, and so it's more like a group of individuals who gather for that purpose and then disperse afterwards. Kind of like going to a concert where you show up because you have a ticket and you don't really expect to, unless you go with friends, you don't really expect to connect with people who are there. You're there for the show. You're there to experience something that you paid for, and you want it to be good. You want it to be excellent, but after it's over, you all go home. And you had a great experience together, but but you're essentially a customer in that setting. And I think sometimes, as as we've said, I'll say more about this in just a moment, we we experience church that way. So Mount Joy Mennonite Church is and always has been somewhere between those two two extremes, you might say, those two poles. I think our our degree of closeness has ebbed and flowed over the decades that our congregation has, has been a reality. When MJMC first got started in 1799, a long time ago, It was a gathering of Christians who had moved to this area who were mostly Swiss German, mostly Mennonites, and they gathered together for worship because they had a shared approach to worship. They also also had a a cultural, uh, they shared German culture and German habits, and so they were pretty familiar with the rhythms of life around farming and around German culture, and that's what drew them together. And that was true in our congregation, in the history of our congregation, for more than probably 150 years Um, closely tied together, largely revolving around farming and in this area in Donegal. Close-knit community, this is, well, some of it, much of it was before the days of radio and television that pulled people in other directions, but they also didn't have the money or the time to travel, to travel very much. So a lot of their social life revolved around the church and around the local community. At different times over the decades, Our church has had both Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship services. At times, Wednesday evening worship services. Some of you grew up in churches like this as well and other places. Much more frequent meetings during the week. Um, There were also, at at least for some some period of time here in our congregation, there were monthly fellowship meals, which some of us would think that would be a good idea. We'd love to to see that uh, come to be again. But there was also a lot of visiting in each other's homes, sharing meals together, but a lot of the connect- it's because a lot of the connections were local in this area and with um, social lives overlapping mostly with uh, work and with church, with the local community. <clears throat> but every time that those folks gathered together, just like for us, every time they were together, they deepened their connections to each other. They deepened their community, strengthened their community. Not exactly like Acts 2, because they didn't own all the land in common, they didn't own the equipment in common, but they did help each other with farm work, and that still happens today. 
where people help each other with the work that needs to be done. Definitely a shared way of life together where they, walk, they worshiped together, they ate together, and they helped each other. I'm reading a history of the Crable School that I just discovered a, a few weeks ago, a booklet that was written, I think, in 1999. But I'm learning details that I didn't know, including some of the history of our own congregation. But one of the things that's very clear is that that, that, that school was founded in 1948 with the specific intent of connecting more closely what children were learning at home and at church to what they learned at school. The idea was to have them receiving the same message in, at church, at home, and at school so that there was a close-knit kind of community. And the adults, our congregation was instrumental, as you know, many of you know, in the founding of that school uh, and for that motivation to preserve and extend that close-knit kind of community. Well, over the years, our congregation has changed. The world around us has changed in, dramatically, in dramatic ways. Um, we no longer gather for worship services and multiple times through the week. Occasionally we do. We have some extra worship gatherings that we add to the schedule, but not regularly. We're also not mostly farmers. And so we don't all have a shared, that shared way of life that, uh, that connects us to each other. We have a much wider variety of work that we engage, different businesses. We no longer have monthly fellowship meals. We have regular or occasional fellowship meals. That's something that we could, we could uh, an, an easy thing to change. But we also have much, a much wider variety of, habit, of hobbies and interests and connections outside our congregation. Um, many of us are connected to other people in other congregations, to people in different parts of Lancaster County, other parts of the state, other parts of the U.S. and around the world. And so our social lives are no longer as local as would have been true for people in our congregation many decades ago. They no longer revolve around our, our church or our congregation in the same way. But the truth is that we are all deepening our connections somewhere. We're all deepening our connections somewhere. So my question for you this morning is, where are you deepening your connections? And how intentional are you about where you're focusing your connecting energies? We also, I realize that we have, most of us have more money and more time to travel. Some of us have children and grandchildren who live out of town or out of state. We can also buy, afford entertainment, including television, streaming audio and video that takes our attention to other places, connects us to people in, in, through those media. Children's sports has also become a huge focus of time and money and energy. And we're all building community in, in or connections in all of these different ways. These are all good things. These are things we enjoy. They add joy and value to our lives. But this morning, I just want to, re- to remind you that... Um, Each of them has weakened. The more time we spend in those things, those weaken our ties to each other or our connections to each other in the congregation unless we're pursuing those things in some way with other people in the congregation because they reduce the amount of time we spend together. They reduce the amount of shared experience that we enjoy. And so I I would think it's fair to say that our experience of community in our congregation is less intense than would have been the case 50 years ago because of these forces. And I realize that being away is just part of a a normal flow of life for busy and affluent people. But the truth is that the more time we spend on developing, deepening other connections, um, the weaker this community will be because we can only be in one place at one time. So whenever I'm not here, whenever you're not here on a Sunday, you're here today, but the folks who are not here today are counting on you and me to be building connections to be building community, strengthening our community, so there is a community for them to come back to 
when they return next week or the week after that. And when I'm away, I'm counting on the same thing. I'm counting on you all to be connecting with each other, worshiping together, eating together, strengthening your connections, so there is a a thriving community to come back to when I return. I also mentioned another dynamic a few weeks ago that plays into this, and that is that you and I, all of us, think more and more like customers or consumers about most things in our lives, including our connections to the church of which we are a part, the congregation we're part of. We increasingly think of, a church, of church as a place we go to get what we want rather than as the community of people with whom I'm following Jesus and who I'm sharing my life with. So we tend to think of church as a place to go to get friendship or to get good teaching or to, for me to enjoy a worship experience or maybe a chance to serve if that's something I'm interested in or something I want to do. I might go there because it gives me a chance to serve in a way I'm interested in. Rather than saying, uh, I'm committed to this community of people, this community of Jesus followers. I share my life with them. I want to be with them when they gather. I want to deepen my connections to them. I want to invest time and energy and prayer into that gathered community. And if I see a weakness or a failing, I want to help, I want to help us. I want to work together to see that resolved as opposed to thinking, oh, I found a weakness or a failing. Somebody else should fix that. Somebody should make that better. The problem is that our family-like closeness will only be as strong as the investments that all of us make in it. And the dilemma for a customer is that if you're always counting on other people to make those investments, if we all have that mindset, eventually there's nothing, there's no community there to come back to because everybody is taking more than they're giving, more than they're putting in. So I have a question, an additional question for you to think about this morning, and that is, If everyone else invested the amount of time and energy and prayer that you are investing in our congregation, how strong would our connections to each other be? How strong would our community be? And I ask that question not as a frowning father. I'm not wagging my finger or scolding anyone. I'm asking you that question as your coach, as your your discipleship coach, as your pastor, as your following Jesus coach. If if everyone were to invest what you are, how strong would would our community, our sense of community be? Or maybe a related way to ask that question is, if you hope that our congregation will be healthy and strong and thriving three years from now, five years from now, what investments are you making of time and energy and prayer and care for other people now in order to see us be a thriving and healthy community of Jesus followers in the future? Now, as I said, I'm not scolding you. I know many of you are saying, yes, I'm I'm investing a lot. Some of you I know are stretching to serve in ways that feel like uh, like you're serving beyond your capabilities. Um, And some of us are investing major amounts of time and energy, and we deeply appreciate our, our gather, all of us deeply appreciate that. It's what makes us as strong as we are. It gives us our strength. And so I, I'm not, um, yeah, and, and I know that some of us are in different seasons of life where there are good reasons why our energies flow in other places. As I said, I'm not scolding. I'm just asking you to think about this because I'm not sure that we often do stop and think about that kind of question. Also want to let you know that we're not alone in this challenge. 
If you look at data on national trends in church attendance specifically, like attendance on Sunday mornings, one of the things that's been true over the last 10 or 20 years is that people just are attending church less often than they used to, even the most committed members of congregations. And so what they've noticed is that people who used to attend pretty much every Sunday now attend more like three Sundays a month. And people who used to attend three Sundays a month often now attend two Sundays a month and so on. Well, what, what that means, if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're not a math person, what that means is that the average pe- number of people in church on any given Sunday is going down uh, just with the same number of people in, who consider themselves part of the congregation. So, for example, if let's say we were to say our, uh, we wanted to, say, to see an average Sunday attendance of 400 people, which would pretty, pretty well fill our room, if everybody was here most Sundays, if 90% of the people were here, we would only need about 450 people in the pool of regular attenders to have an, an average attendance of 400 people. But if that same group of people was only attending about 50% of the time, twice a month, we'd need twice as many people to be in that pool of people. Like we need 800 people to be the ones who consider this to be their congregation. And so you can see how the math works there. But let's come back to the question of why this matters. I asked you, like, why were the people gathering in Acts 2? Why, why would this be important? Why should we care about this? Well, again, I think what I would say is that following Jesus is a team sport. It really is something, <clears throat> it really is something we do together. It's meant to be uh, a life that we share together rather than a solo quest. And as we've talked before, I think we have a lot of training and a lot of shaping influences that make us think that our lives are about ourselves. My life is about me and my decisions and what I want more than that I'm joining, that I'm thinking about the teams that I'm part of or the groups of people, the communities that I'm investing my life into. So I think that the reason that we gather is to get better at following Jesus together. We're drawn together by a shared passion, a shared commitment to follow Jesus in this community by people who care about the same things. And we find that the more we invest, the more our lives are filled with joy and with purpose, the more our lives intersect with each other, the better we know each other the clearer our sense of purpose and shared commitment is. And as I said earlier, we also can inspire each other to hang in there when things are tough. When when my following of Jesus is running against my natural desires, my natural inclinations, I'm much more able to withstand that and to follow faithfully if I know that I'm not alone in doing so. So this morning, I want to urge you to, to lean into our life together, to lean into the groups that you're part of, the people that you're connected in our congregation, to, to invest time and energy, to invest prayer and care in those relationships, in building a stronger sense of, an ever stronger sense of family-like closeness in our congregation. And again, I echo this phrase that I've been repeating this morning. We're all deepening our connections somewhere. Where are you deepening your connections? In Acts 2, we have a list of ways to do this, ways to deepen our connections to each other. We can worship together. We can eat together. We can study scripture together. We can pray together. We can tell each other the stories about how God is at work in our lives, how we see God at work around us. Tell each other the stories of God's grace at work in our lives, like we heard from Chile this morning. To hear a story of God's work in his life, We can help each other with practical needs and and spiritual needs, leaning into each other. And I also want to say, if you're someone who prefers to connect with us remotely, to worship with us remotely, or if if you feel it, if it's safer for you to do that, 
right now, I would, we delighted to have you do that. I would just urge you to make that experience as interactive as you can. To supplement it with emails, with, um, with texts, with meeting people outside, with Zoom calls, what have you. Uh, many of you know that our three children live out of state. They all live at a, at a distance from us. And so we've been delighted to discover Zoom over the last two years. We didn't really use that before. But uh, so occasionally we have a, a family Zoom call where we're all together. And it's not like being in person. We would much rather be together in person. But let me tell you, it's better than not having the, it's better than a phone call. And it's better than not having the contact. So if you're connecting with us remotely, those are options available to you. And I would urge you to add as much connection and interaction as you can to your connection, to your, to your participation in our life together. So I've said repeatedly, you're deepening your connections somewhere. Be intentional about where you're deepening your connections. And I would urge you to make a priority for you to, to deepen your connections uh, among other followers of Jesus, among people who are with you and being on mission to God together. And I hope that for many of us in the room, that includes uh, people in our congregation. I also want to invite you, especially if you're a member of our congregation, if you've made a membership commitment, to consider how you think about your connection here in our congregation. For example, do you mostly think of church as a place where you come to get something that you want or that you need? where you expect other people, the rest of us say, to be building a healthy and thriving and lively life together that you can benefit from when it suits you? Or are you, uh, do you think of this as a place where you regularly give and receive? Giving and receiving time and energy and prayer and care. Is, this, is that a two-way street for you or do you think of it mostly as a one-way street? Or another way to think about that is, do you serve or do you join in activities that mostly benefit someone else? Do you ever come to something or serve in a way mostly for the sake of other people? Or do you mostly participate in activities that benefit you in some way? One of the secrets that maybe you have learned about serving is that it's often through our serving, through our serving of other people especially, that God meets our own needs for connection and for healing and for comfort. But often we want to be like fully up to date ourselves, fully cared for before we will step into serving someone else. And we miss the opportunity that, God provi- that we provide to God to work in and through us by serving other people. I heard a story several months ago about a, a widowed dad who was just really lost in his grief and struggling with his wife's uh, passing and caring for his children, kind of overwhelmed by his situation. And then someone invited him to serve in children's ministries. Not, this is not here in our congregation, elsewhere. But someone invited him to serve in children's ministry, and he kind of reluctantly agreed. And what he found as he did that is over the months, that just caring for these children, caring for somebody beyond himself and outside his own situation, brought great healing and consolation in his life. To be in touch with children whose lives were much simpler, whose concerns were much simpler, realizing that he had something to offer them, God used that experience to, to bring tremendous healing and consolation in his life. Again, we're not serving to get those things, but they often come to us in the process of deepening our connections and serving the people around us. So my hope My goal is for our congregation to be healthy and strong and thriving in community and in impact to the people around us for many, many years to come. 
That is my hope and my goal. Let's keep deepening our connections to each other so that that can happen. 